Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us. This is episode 85. We are recording this at 3 o'clock in the afternoon Pacific time on January 26th. Happy birthday, Trisha. Uh, I am your host, Terry Plecknett. Joining me, as always, Todd Plecknett and Zach Saltz. Zach, how great is it to have baseball back? Oh, it's just spectacular, especially that opening day when uh, one of the games was rained out and the other one was a blowout. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know it's it's um it, it's it's certainly something to watch other than um, NBA Two K and celebrity poker and dirt bike racing. Yeah, I've noticed the fact that uh, that baseball is back. It's really cutting into my golf watching time. I I'd, I'd kind of gotten into a routine of watching golf. Todd, have you watched much uh, much baseball yet? Did you see the Mariners won today? They just won their first game Whoa. in yeah. like two years in, in Houston. Breaking yeah. news. I was watching some of that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I watched a little bit on Friday. It was cool having live sports, but it does look really weird having nobody behind the plate. <laughs> Did you guys see, I think it was on Fox yesterday, the, like, digitally inserted fans? Well, some stadiums are doing like cardboard cuts. I know the Red Sox uh, at Fenway, you can, for $500, you can buy a cutout of your own face and put it in behind the green monster. And if the home run ball hits your face, you get uh, like tickets to uh, a, a game next season as well as like a signed uh, ball, game ball. So I think that's pretty cool. I don't know why all, all uh, stadiums aren't doing that. What I'm more intrigued by is the ambient uh, crowd noise that is really getting blown into some stadiums more than others. Like Dodger Stadium had that thing pumped, man. I mean, it was like you know, it was, it was like a, a, a rave atmosphere in there. Yeah, well, and so on Fox yesterday, what they did was they uh, they digitally put fans into the stadium, like like. MLB the show overlaid on top of the real stadium, so there there were fans in the stadium whenever you saw the outfield. Oh, that's interesting. It was it was a little bizarre. Anyways, let's let's get into what we're what we're doing here. Zach, what are you drinking? I'm having some out out of uh, Lawrence, Kansas, the Storm Chaser IPA from Free State. Uh, brewing company it's storm chasing season here in the midwest and um this uh this bottle has a picture of an old truck running away from a tornado and there's nothing more midwestern than that so cheers well done well done todd what do you got uh well i made a tom collins but i didn't have any lime oh, perfect. or lemon so i used lime instead so but yeah it's actually pretty tasty really refreshing i i was hoping you were gonna make yourself a tom collins I, I knew I knew you were if anyone was going to do it, it was going to be you. Well, it's pretty easy. It's just gin and uh, like uh, like tonic water and lemon juice and simple syrup. So it's it's really just a basic, you know, spritzy kind of summer drink. So you made your own Tom Collins mix. Yeah, yeah. I didn't buy the mix. I don't, I don't even know <laughs> if you could do that. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I have a first here. I'm I'm drinking I'm drinking something hard today, 
uh, in honor, in kind of in honor of baseball, and just we got this stuff, and it's really, really good. This is um, Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey. Nice. Um, I, I heard about it on, on another podcast, and I was like, uh, I should try that out. So I'm shouting it out here. Hey, Screwball Whiskey, if you're listening, you know, well, you could sponsor us, too, if you want, you know. But no, this stuff is so good. It's like candy. It's ridiculous. So um, yeah, I've had peanut it. butter whiskey. It's it's kind of weird though because you do feel like you just like took a spoon of peanut butter and like so your throat's a little dry after each sip. I've noticed that. Yeah, it it it's very very peanut buttery, but it it also has that vibe of you're not drinking anything, so it's one of those really scary ones. Anyway, so I've got a glass of that, and then when I'm done, I've got a. I've got a beer for, as a backup here. This is a Pelican Brewery, you know, Oregon staple. It's their uh, signature brew, Kiwanda Pre-Prohibition Cream Ale. So that's what I'll drink after I'm done with my, with my whiskey. All right. Well, before we get into our review, I just wanted to mention really quick, uh, last couple days there have been uh, a couple passings that are kind of um, significant to the entertainment world. You had... Um, Yesterday it was announced Regis Philbin died. Uh, this morning it was announced Olivia de Havilland, at the age of 104, uh, passed away. Guys, I know I didn't prep you on this, but do you have any thoughts on on either of those that you uh, want to share? Well, I had no idea Regis was 88. I I, I I don't think he ever looked that old. But it is sad, but both of them. Like, Olivia de Havilland was, like, the last of, of that era that was still alive in movies, so... Yeah, I, I feel like, especially Regis, Regis, to me, kind of felt timeless. Like, like I don't think, it was one of those that felt like he never aged. And so, I mean, you could have told me he was 88, you could have told me he was 98, you could have told me he was 108, and I would have believed you, and still have been shocked that he died, because it was like, wait, Regis can't die? He was just one of those, like, legends that felt like he was going to be around forever. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is still true, but I remember hearing somewhere that he has the most, he's like the world record for most minutes on TV, like throughout his entire life. I'm not sure if that's still true, but I think at one point it was true. And I also find it dumbfounding that he was never the host of the Oscars. How did that not happen? Oh, wow. Yeah, that was a missed opportunity. That would have been amazing. <laughs> was he also the most famous celebrity Notre Dame fan? Are there any celebrity Notre Dame fans left? Ooh. Lou Holtz. That's true. <laughs> there's some fictional ones like... Does uh, it count if you coached for him? <laughs> there's some fictional ones like President Jed Bartlett on the West Wing and um, Martin Sheen in uh, The Departed, but I think that's about it. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so both of those, and again, Olivia de Havilland, yeah. Oscar royalty there, or not Oscar, movie royalty, Hollywood royalty, been around forever. Um, yeah, someone with that was in Gone with the Wind in 1939 that wasn't like a child was still alive. Uh, just amazing. So, uh, so yeah, uh, just wanted to mention those. Okay, let's get into what we've been watching. Uh, Todd, you're first. Uh, so I watched the new Josh Trank movie, Capone. Uh, and Trank yes. has had the most ridiculous career like he had this awesome start with chronicle then he got his fantastic four movie which was a train wreck to the point that he got fired from star wars and now he comes out with this big passion project he kind of gets screwed by corona a little bit but uh 
it is a batshit crazy movie, and it is kind of a train wreck to watch, and it's also kind of fascinating. Tom Hardy is in some insane makeup, and uh, it's about the last days of Al Capone when he's dying of dementia and complications from syphilis. And it, I don't know, it, it's, it's so weird. I, I, I've never seen anything quite like it. I'm giving it three stars. It's getting horrible reviews, but I think people just uh, were expecting more of a traditional mob picture, and it definitely is not that. It, it, it's, uh, it's nuts, but I, I like it. Nice, nice. I, yeah, I've been trying to catch that one, or wanting to catch it. I'll, I'll get to it soon. I, I think it's I, on I, I Canopy? Can, yeah, yeah, it just came on Canopy, which is interesting because it's like the first it's been anywhere but video on demand so how how does yeah. how does it con- compare with al-, al pacino as uh al capone in the untouchables that was de niro oh de niro excuse me uh there have been a lot of capones uh de niro is really good but i mean tom hardy is i mean this is as committed as i've ever seen him into a role he, I, I i'd say this is the best portrayal of capone that i've seen but i haven't seen some of the early ones in the 70s all right, all right. So yeah, check that one out. It's pretty easy to find if it's on Canopy. Uh, I'll go next. Uh, the one movie I caught this week that um, that isn't another one that we're going to be talking about is my anniversary watch of the week, and it is a, a documentary that was nominated 20 years ago. came out in 2000. Um, all right, it is a Best Documentary nominee that has 128 ratings on IMDb. So, not many people have seen this. I don't think either of you have seen this. It's called Legacy, uh, written and directed by Todd Lending. And it is uh, the story of this family, that uh, African-American family living in inner-city Chicago, and uh, the trials and tribulations of them over a five-year period. Uh, It all starts off with a tragic death in the family as um, a teenager is uh, murdered just two blocks from their uh, from their home, actually, and uh, that happened like two hours after the initial interview with the grandmother matriarch of the family was interviewed. Um, two hours later, um, uh, her one of her grandchildren was was killed, and it's one of those where you you get this idea that they decide that they're going to make this slice of life documentary and then fall into something even bigger. Um, I think it, it's, it's a fascinating story to hear um, how this family is trying to, to eke their way out of where they're at, um, how they, they find some help to, to help them do that. Because um, uh, this is a family that they're, um, the, the narrator is the daughter, um, and her name is uh, Nicole, and... Um, her mother is third generation welfare. So this is a very poor family in the projects in Chicago, and they're slowly trying to change the narrative. Um, I thought it was a fascinating story. I didn't fully like the storytelling. I thought it, um, it had some, some issues there. It could have been told a lot clearer and a lot more impactfully. I'm giving it two and a half stars, uh, but it's definitely worth a watch. I mean, this with especially the conversations that are going on around here, uh, nowadays, um, this is looking at how life was like in the late nineties for, uh, some similar people. So, uh, so definitely worth a watch legacy. I found it on canopy. So there you go. 
on Canopy, but only 128 people have rated it on IMDb. And it was nominated for an Oscar. All right. Zach, how about you? What did you watch? Well, it's interesting, Terry. I watched a documentary that, according to IMDb, has 228 votes. So it's a little more popular than yours, not a whole lot more popular. So it's a documentary from 2015 called Not Film, and it is uh, uh, directed by a film archivist and filmmaker named Ross Littman. And it basically chronicles the making of a uh, short film in 1964 that was called Film, that was a collaboration between... Buster Keaton and the playwright Samuel Beckett, most probably famous for Waiting for Godot. And it's a really unlikely collaboration because Beckett was this, kind, you know, he was this very intellectual, prodigious playwright from Ireland, whereas Buster Keaton in 1964 was kind of on the down and outs of his career, basically an alcoholic. He basically takes the job for money, which really contrasts with Beckett's very cerebral, sort of abstract um, intentions for this short film. Um, the short film is uh, this kind of experimental um, attempt to, like, show... Uh, a uh, like a, a subjective camera type thing and it kind of tracks uh, Buster Keaton as he goes through like his apartment and it you know it has these kind of grandiose um, motivations and Beckett clearly put a lot of time and effort into thinking about it the execution of the short film though was not that great they did have Boris Kaufman as the cinematographer and he is the brother of Ziga Vertov the Russian director of Man with a Movie Camera and also worked with uh, Elia Kazan on, on the waterfront. So there were some other legendary people involved in it. The movie is two hours and five minutes. So having a two-hour, 125-minute film about a 20-minute film is pretty unique and interesting. And um, it, it it is kind of funny. I mean, Beckett and, and Keaton are, are really contrasts because Beckett, again, this very intellectually robust, academic, uh, philosophical um charisma versus Keaton who says he doesn't understand the script at all and is just taking it for money and tries to but yet Keaton is the more accomplished filmmaker and uh Beckett kind of shut him out along the process the documentary itself is it's kind of written with academic jargon at times it feels very kind of post-structuralist it feels like the kind of documentary that you might watch in grad school so you do have to be in the mood for it it's not the kind of uh you know populist documentary that you might expect it's not like the disaster artist with Samuel Beckett and, and uh, Buster Keaton. But it is a really interesting look at a relatively obscure, forgotten film. The, the film is kind of like an abstract Twilight Zone episode, that the film film. Um, not film is more of a, a sort of personal essay type documentary, but um, it's interesting nonetheless. If you're a fan of film history, if you're a fan of literary history like Samuel Beckett, I'd encourage you to check it out. All right. It's a three-star film. I like when we... I like when we come up with three films that uh, for this segment that none of the other ones have seen. It, it's always good, because now we have stuff that we can go out and watch. I like that Todd had, had that the most uh, mainstream film. I found that one actually on uh, on TCM. Oh, nice. Okay. Cool. <clears throat> okay. Well, let's get into our featured review. Uh, this movie that we're going to be talking about uh, came out a couple weeks ago. Uh, and it is the old guard. So you good guys or bad guys? Depends on the century. So we really never die. Just because we keep living doesn't mean we stop burning. <laughs> Throughout history, we've protected this world, fighting in the shadows. 
But it's nearly impossible to disappear in the world we live in today. Uh, released on Netflix, uh, directed by Gina Prince Bythewood, uh, starring Charlize Theron, uh, Matthias Schoenart, uh, Marwan Kanzari, Luca Marinelli, Kiki Lane, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Harry Melling. Uh, it is the story, it's based on a graphic novel and kind of like off-brand superhero type stuff. It's a story of an immortal team of mercenaries that have been fighting for hundreds and hundreds of years. You get the idea with some of them, maybe even thousands of years, uh, and just fighting crime and evil around the world and, uh, and kind of doing their thing because they can't die. And, um, and the leader of that team is Charlize Theron, uh, who plays Andy, who I, while, while watching this movie, I was thinking to myself, I honestly don't think Charlize Theron ages, so she's perfect to play this role, because she's looked like the same for 20, 25 years. Um, and, uh, she leads the team, uh, Schoenarts, Kinzari, and Mar uh, Marinelli round out the team, and, uh, you find out that there's another one that comes along, uh, played by Kiki Lane, and this happens every now and then that a new immortal uh, emerges uh, and uh, and they will like die and then just undie. It's it's kind of it's kind of weird. Um, but what ends up happening is uh, Harry Melling plays a, uh, a pharmaceutical, uh, you know, rep and just founder CEO that wants to try and uh, take what makes them immortal and make it into a drug to give people to heal them so he can make millions and millions of dollars. Uh, Chiwetelagia 4 is um, kind of the middleman that helps try to facilitate this. Um, I, I'm making it sound a lot more boring than it actually was because I really like this movie. It was a lot of fun. Um, giving it three stars. I thought the action was good. I thought the pacing was good. Uh, the uh, I thought the story was... it. You know, it was crazy, but also it was believable enough to have so that you could have some fun with it. Um, I thought the performances were solid. The the crew was very believable. Um, it's always good to see Chiwetel Ejiofor in something. Uh, Harry Melling was a little over the top, but I'm okay with that because he's the villain. He's supposed to be a little over the top. Uh, yeah, I I had fun. It was a, it was just a good solid not quite a superhero action movie and i i really uh i really appreciated it and enjoyed it, it i mean it's not going to win any oscars but if you want to have some fun at the at the you know i was going to say at the theater but if you want to have some fun watching a movie turn on netflix throw on the old guard which it sounds like a lot of people have done because it's still on like the top 10 most watched movies list of netflix right now so um so yeah that's what i think of it zach i'm going to you next Okay, so um, uh, I'll just I'll just be blunt. I am so like on the fence for this movie. Like, I kind of just want to listen to what you and Todd have to say about it, and then make my decision. You know, do some Monday morning quarterbacking and just go along with whatever whoever makes the best arguments for it. Because um, I, we'll start with the pros. I agree with a lot of what you said, Terry. I think this is a pretty fun movie. It breezed by at two hours. It was never really a, a chore to watch. Um, there are some pretty fun action sequences in it, and I will say overall, I think the premise is kind of unique in the sense that they're immortal, but 
as is kind of revealed, and we're spoiling, you know, a lot of this movie, but not, like, it's not deal-breaker spoilers. It's just kind of spoilers as, as they go along. But, you know, one of the big developments in this movie is the realization that they're actually not quite immortal, that at some point the immortality strain goes away. So that kind of creates a tension that is sort of unique and feels a little bit um, maybe uh, not like X-Men and Avengers. And I thought, I, I was reminded a lot of X-Men and Avengers watching this movie. It felt very much in that kind of... Uh, uh, vein. Um, the downside, I don't know. I felt the story that a lot of the beats of the story were really predictable. Uh, there's a character who double crosses the immortals. That character is very obvious because that character gives a, a speech at one point where you can pretty much exactly see what's coming. There's another point kind of earlier in the movie where the, where the immortals are essentially double crossed. That was very obvious to see. Um, and I think overall the story is kind of silly if you really think about it. And you're right, the the big pharma evil man. I mean, I, in a way, I was kind of nostalgic for big pharma being evil again because it really hasn't been that way. I, I want to say for like ten years. I can't remember the the last evil big pharma villain movie, but uh, I do kind of miss uh, big pharma as as evil. Um, in this <laughs> movie, though, it was it was laughable and over the top and really silly. Um, I think that this movie could have done a lot more with its premise, like. You have these characters who are who have lived for thousands of years. Why can't we get a greater sense? The movie tries to do something a little bit with that. Like it, it tries to give us a sense of the uh, incomparable and important role that these characters have had in history. But that's sort of half-assed, and it doesn't really go anywhere. And that comes with the Chuatelaji of four character kind of later in the movie. So I feel that that's kind of a missed opportunity. On a whole, this is like a solid two and a half star movie. I, I could go either way on it. Like, again, entertaining, kind of a unique concept. Charlie Theron's really good. But on the other hand, it, all the silliness kind of undermines it. Very predictable. And um, yeah, I don't, you know, just basically derivative in a lot of ways of X-Men and the Avengers. Yeah, I was kind of thinking it felt like a, a team of Logans were all going out and fighting. Because that's that's basically what it is. Is they they yep. can't be they can't die. And then they have to ask the question: Is humanity worth saving? I mean, how many superhero movies has that been the exist big existential question? Like, come on, let's let's get real. Let's let's move but on. But at to the same movies. time, like you said, it was two hours that breezed by because it was entertaining, and so that that's yeah. I, 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 I hear you on both sides, Todd. Where are you at? Uh, I don't, okay, so. <laughs> but I, don't, I feel the movie is sort of like Mission Impossible meets X-Men in its storyline, but I don't think it's really all that interesting or as interesting as those ones. Like, it starts out with these, like, crazy, ridiculous action scenes that reminded me of Extraction or, like, John Wick. But I think it kind of it kind of gets boring after that. I don't think the mythology is all that well-established. Like, do they just all of a sudden develop this ability to not die and then they just ate, don't age from that, like, for hundreds of years? Like, I don't really understand where these people come from if they are people or the aliens like they don't really establish any of that and i i think it would have worked a lot better as like a mini series or something than than this which is obviously like begging for a sequel i, I actually think i would be more interested in like prequels because the flashbacks were like the most interesting part of the movie but we don't get a whole lot of those we're like stuck with these like overcooked like present day things and i think it kind of killed all the momentum uh, and I don't think it really lingers enough on the characters to make us actually care about them at all. I, I think uh, Bythewood is an interesting director. Like she, Love and Basketball fits her style a lot better because it's like they're uh, really soapy, 
But uh, her last most ambitious movie was The Secret Life of Bees, which was really similarly like overblown and misguided and not very good. So I don't really know what what to think of her. It, it, the movie is most similar to the Netflix movie earlier this year, Spencer Confidential, which is just like a cliche action movie with popular actors that is like going to start a franchise for Netflix. And it's it's similarly as uh, successful or not successful. And I, I give it the exact same lukewarm rating of two stars. I, I, I don't I don't think the movie did fly by. I was kind of bored by it. Well, I was never bored by it. I mean, if I was, that, that would have cinched it. Because, I mean, it, like you said, it's not doing anything special. It's not doing anything new. But I'm not expecting a movie like this to come out and do something new and different. It's, it's can you entertain me for two hours? And, uh, and can I have some fun with it? And I felt like I did. I totally agree, though, that I would much rather see prequels than sequels to this. And make it almost like an Assassin's Creed type of thing of, okay, what did they do in the 1700s? And let, let's see what that looked like of these exact same characters. Yeah, like in that one Wolverine movie when they we watch him in the Civil War or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we've got two stars, two and a half stars, three stars. Uh, I would say if you're kind of a fan of kind of the, the offbeat, kind of not quite a superhero superhero movie, this would be something for you. Um it's not quite mainstream, but borders on mainstream. I don't know. Uh, so there you go. We're kind of all kind of in a similar spot here where uh, uh, if it sounds entertaining, you might like it. It's easy to find. It's on Netflix. This movie yeah. had sort of an interesting history the last two weeks. The first week it came out, it was a big hit. It was on Netflix's top five, I think. And it's still, I think, a, a top ten Netflix movie of all time. But in its second and third week, it really hasn't had as much viewership. So my question is, will they make a sequel? Because there's there's been no announcement of a sequel yet. I mean, if you watch this movie, you know there's gonna, there, it's saying there will be a sequel at some point. Which I never well, the, like in movies. I hate when movies already are pretentious enough to, to set up a sequel. Like well, Battle on. Angel was that way too. I, yeah. I, I, well, I think uh, having the ma massive first week or whatever on streaming makes as much money for them as it would uh, like a, a like a huge theatrical run. Like I mean, Desperados too. Like that was one of the top movies on Netflix for like a week and a half. So I mean, that that could easily get some sort of sequel too. Like I, I Netflix can really do whatever they want because they play by different rules. Yeah, um, I think I could see it not necessarily being a very rewatchable movie, maybe, and I, and maybe that's why the viewership kind of went down on it. But I could also see if there's a sequel, it'll have as much, if not more, success. I mean, it, it all depends on if they get Charlie Stern back. Yeah, I was gonna say this also did not feel like a Netflix movie to its to its credit. I felt like it, it felt like a a movie that you'd watch in a theater. Well, yeah, and that's why I said it's like Spencer Confidential too. That, that I mean, that that was a that's a total movie theater movie, but it it's stuck on Netflix, so it's kind of in a an odd zone. Also, I liked the, the Secret Life of Bees, man. That was a good movie. Screw you. <laughs> and it was okay. nothing. It was nothing like this movie. I can't actually think of two different movies, so I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I'm not saying it was like it. I'm saying it was just similarly like overblown and like she. I mean, she was in over her head making that movie when it's obviously not her style. I I disagree. That was a really cute movie with uh, with with uh, Dakota Fanning and I think Queen Jeff Latifah Hudson. was in it. Jeff Hudson. 
yeah, good movie. Check that one out. Love and Basketball is way better. That, and Love and Basketball is a great movie. Of course, check that one out. That, that's her best movie. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, our main topic of the day, and it is another deep dive. Uh, I've been trying to come up with a new name for our deep dive segment. I've been thinking it, I've been thinking of calling it like the geek out, because that's really what we do when we do a deep dive is we geek out over the movie. I texted Todd today. I think, I think a very, you know, outside the box title for, for our deep dive is the long journey to the middle, but I don't think anybody else would get it besides the three of us. Yeah. But I think that might need to be it. <laughs> Cause I feel like we take a very long journey to find some sort of, you know, point to our conversation. Sounds very Lord of the Rings. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Go Lester Bangs. All right. Uh, it is the 20th anniversary this year of the comedy classic Meet the Parents. Pam is the one Greg wants to marry. Just relax, honey. He's going to love you. But before he can pop the question, he'll have to meet... Hi, Daddy! ...the parents. What are you driving there, Ford? Oh, yeah. It's an interesting color. You figured Oh, no, now the Hurst guy picked it. Why? Well, they say geniuses pick green. But you didn't pick it. So this is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, and looking at all things about this movie. We're starting with our trivia segment. And Todd is hosting trivia. So, Todd, what's going on? Uh, so we're going to do our normal uh, long journey to the middle uh, trivia structure. <laughs> uh, it's catchy. I'm going to start with Zach. All right. So I unplug? Yeah, unplug, Terry. Okay. All right. Uh, so we have 12 questions worth 22 points. All right. Uh, we will start with one of the questions that you probably would have asked, which is, uh, so Meet the Parents was number one at the box office for four straight weeks oh, starting crap. October 6, 2000. What movie did it dethrone, and which movie knocked it off the top? top I, and I was, I was going to look this up, too. I'm so angry at myself for not doing that. Um, okay, so November of 2000, is that what you said? Um, October 6th. October yeah, 6th of 2000? So, yeah. Oh, jeez. I don't know. Aaron Brockovich? That's not right. Okay. It was that for Dethroned, or... Well, which movie did it dethrone, and which movie knocked it off the top spot? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Aaron. It dethroned Aaron Brock. Well, you said it didn't. De- oh, okay. Well, that's one. I'm gonna say that uh, it uh, it got dethroned by uh, uh, um, the Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> that's not correct, but a uh, good guess. Uh, Thanks. It uh, it dethroned Remember the Titans, and okay. it was dethroned by Charlie's Angels. All right. Okay. How long have Greg and Pam been dating? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't. I don't know. Uh, six months. Ten months. All right. What are Jack and Pam's nicknames for each other? Oh, jeez. These are brutal, man. I don't know. Um. Uh. P- 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 uh Pookie. No. Pam. No. Pam. Pam Bear. Didn't someone say that? No. Okay, so Jack calls Pam Pam Cakes, and That's Pam right. calls Jack Flapjack. All right. What are Pam and Kevin's nicknames for each other? Oh, God. <sighs> oh, uh, Iceman. That, okay, Iceman and Maverick. Yes. There you go. Okay, that was a little easier. Uh, worth two points. 
what is Thor Svensson supposed to do if anyone else at the house answers the phone but Jack? Um, he's supposed to ask for the vegetarian special in a southern accent. That's correct. And correct. Uh, what rock band's... What... What Rock Band's t-shirt is the pharmacy clerk wearing at the Oyster Bay drugstore? <laughs> Good question. I have no clue, but I, lo- I-, I love that you asked that question. Uh, we'll talk about that character later. I don't know. Um, the, po- the poster is also on the wall in Denny's room. Ooh, okay. That's a- Thank you for that hint. Um, Green Day? Uh, it was Korn. Okay. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think uh, Judah Friedlander would be wearing a Green Day shirt. <laughs> Well, okay. more likely than a little Kim shirt. <laughs> That's true, and the yeah, not a rock band. Uh, what was Jack's mother's name? Angela. The angel from heaven, exactly. Uh, how does Kevin know Bob? They, um, it's like lacrosse camp, wasn't it? Didn't they meet it? Correct. Okay. Yeah. How long did it take Kevin to build the altar? <sighs> 70 hours that is correct uh what five things did greg buy at oyster bay Ooh, okay uh the gum the nicotine gum the uh, uh well, i guess no okay so it's actually six then so it's gonna be an extra, okay. yeah i didn't actually okay. write that one down <laughs> you didn't that's the first thing i thought okay uh go figure um uh okay um the uh the champagne. That's correct. Ooh, and then the others. I uh, gosh, I don't know. Uh, did he buy cigarettes? No. Okay, I don't know. I don't know the others. Okay. Uh, he bought shaving cream, toothpaste, toothbrush, and a deodorant. Details. You actually see him taking two of those off the shelf, and the other, and then and there's a shot where you clearly see the other two. Uh, okay, so these last two categories are going to be worth a half point each. Uh, right. For uh, there's four answers worth a half point each. So Robert De Niro was nominated for Best Actor in a Comedy Musical Award at the Golden Globes in 2000. Who else was nominated? Uh, um, Michael Douglas for Wonder Boys. That's that... not correct. Okay, that drama. Screw the Probably. Golden Globes. <laughs> uh, okay, well. They were George Clooney in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Jim Carrey in The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, John Cusack in High Fidelity, and Mel Gibson in What Woman Won. All right. I'd be surprised but, if Terry got any of those. Yeah, um, yeah, me too. Okay, and Randy Newman's opening slash closing credit song was nominated at the Oscars. What were the other movies that were nominated for Best Original Song? Uh, <laughs> uh, Wonder Boys was one of them. The, That's um, correct. It's random that I knew that. Um, you actually have mentioned one of the other ones, too. Okay. Um, the Emperor's New Groove? Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> and, uh, Oh Brother Art Thou? Not correct. The other ones were Lars von Trier's oh. only nomination ever, Dancer in the Dark, and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. You know, it's, it's so you got oh, a brother right that won a Grammy. Couldn't be nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. So you got ten points. Alright. That's fair. That w- those were tough questions, man. That was those were the hardest questions Todd has ever come up with. 
<laughs> oh boy, that's that, 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 that does not bode well. Okay. Alright, so Zach got 10 out of the possible 23 points uh, on 12 questions. Brutal. Okay. Be ready, Terry. Okay, Terry. Meet the Parents was number one at the box office for four straight weeks starting October 6, 2000. What movie did it dethrone, and what movie knocked it off the spot? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um... Yeah. Aaron Brockovich? That's not correct, and Zach said the same answer. He did, he really? Just. I can't even think of any any other 2000 movies. Godzilla 2000. Not correct. Well, way more. Okay significant than that uh remember the titans and it was dethroned by charlie's angels okay that's Uh, better than my choices (laughs) okay how long have greg and pam been dating these past 11 months it was 10 months 10 months Ah! what are jack and pam's nicknames for each other um pancake and flapjack that is correct Two points. Uh, what are Pam and Kevin's Two nicknames points. for each other? Uh, Maverick and uh, Iceman. That is correct. What I don't is know what you're saying, Iceman? Worth two points. What is Thor Svensson supposed to do if anyone else in the house answers the phone but Jack? Um. Oh, uh, it was answer in a southern accent. That's and. Correct. Is that it? That, it? that was one point. And, and, uh, oh, and it was like an ask, ask if we're happy with our long distance company or something. It was uh, ask for the vegetarian special. Oh, that was it. Yeah. Okay. What rock band's t-shirt is the pharmacy clerk wearing at Oyster Bay Drugstore? <laughs> and it's also a poster in Denny's room. Oh, if it's a poster in Denny's, I'm going to go Slipknot. Closer than Zach, uh, it was Corn. <laughs> oh, that was... Uh, mm, I said that Green Day. <laughs> well, I knew he had Slipknot in his room. That was the one I remembered. Okay, what was Jack's mother's name? Her name was Angela. Yes, that is correct. How does Kevin know Bob? Uh, they went to, uh, to, uh, 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 lacrosse camp together. That's correct. How long did it take Kevin to build the altar? Oh, it took me about 70 hours. That's correct. (laughs) What six things did Greg buy at Oyster Bay? Six things did Greg buy at Oyster Bay? Oh, um... Toothbrush. That's correct. I'm gonna say probably. Oh, uh, he brought he bought um the the nicotine gum. That's correct. Bought a bottle of mums. That's correct. Um, guessing toothpaste. If you bought a toothbrush, you bought toothpaste. Yeah, that's correct. Uh. 
He saw the Tom Collins mix, but didn't get it. Uh, Floss? No, it was uh, deodorant, deodorant and shaving uh, cream. I, did, I, 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 was, I, I needed one. Did I, I, I'm out after I get one wrong? Yeah, Is that how it works? Yeah, that's the way I was doing it. Ah, dang it. All right, so these are there's four answers me. on these last two questions. Uh, worth a half point each. Robert De Niro was nominated for Best Actor in a Comedy Musical Award at the Golden Globes. Who else was nominated in 2000? For comedy musical? Actor. Actor at the Golden Globes. Oh. Um. 2000. How many points does Terry have right now? Uh, he has 12. Oh. So he's already won. <laughs> so I've already won? Oh, okay. Sorry to kill the suspense. Um, gosh, um, big, they're big names. It's uh, George Clooney, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Jim Carrey, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, John Cusack, High Fidelity, and Mel Gibson in What Women Want. Yeah, I wasn't going to come up with any of those. And the last question, Randy Newman's song was nominated at the Oscars. Who were the other nominees? What were the other movies nominated for Best Original Song? I'm pretty sure Man of Constant Sorrows wasn't. Right. <laughs> but it should have been. That was my guess. Uh, yeah. Zach oh, actually got two gosh. of these. He did? Yeah. Way to go, well, Zach. Well, I, I had a little bit of help for, on one of them. I yeah. got nothing. Uh, Wonder Boys, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Dancer in the Dark, and The Emperor's New Groove. Dan mm. so That's Terry the only reason I've seen Dancer in the Dark is because it was nominated for a song there. I just... Emperor's New Groove. I, I almost said Emperor's New Groove is one of the things it dethroned. That's what I said. That was my vote. <laughs> I said Aaron Brockovich and Godzilla 2000. Well, um... Wonder Boys, you watched too, right? That was yeah, I did, I, I did, but it got nominated for more than just song. I know, but I think it won original song. It's possible. All right, well, I win, which means I get to talk about Meet the Parents first. Yay! Uh, so, Meet the Parents. I love this movie. I forgot how much I love this movie until I just watched it again last night. Uh, Meet the Parents, directed by Jay Roach, uh, starring uh, Ben Stiller, Robert De Niro. Um, and it's a a great kind of fish out of water. Go and meet your girlfriend's parents to ask permission. I, you you see this story all the time, but never quite like this. Um, ben Stiller, Robert De Niro are like peak comedy awesomeness in this movie. Uh, as you see him bumble over thing after thing after thing, you find out Robert De Niro is an un, is a is a CIA, former CIA agent, which just adds to everything. Um, I I don't remember when I first watched this movie, but I know I've watched it a lot. After watching it again, I'm like, okay, I've seen this movie quite a few times. And what I remember, what I remember the most about it, and what I remember, or what I thought about as I was watching it, is this is one of those movies that lived up to the hype. Like when you hear. Like, I remember hearing Robert De Niro, Ben Stiller, comedy, 
It's like, okay, this has the potential to be awesome. And then it was. Where, like, I mean, it, it was a similar feeling I got to when I heard Adam Sandler, Jack Nicholson, Anger Management. This could be awesome. And you're like, yeah. I mean, it's funny, but it's, yeah. This, this movie just hits on, like, every beat, every note, and it's, it's got, it's very quotable, it's, it's just a great, great movie. Zach, what did, what, uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, it, I put it in my top five funniest movies of the 2000s when we did that on our website way back in the Obama administration, and, uh, yeah, I think it holds up really well. Um, you know, one of the things, we'll talk about this, but, like, the movie it doesn't it doesn't try for greatness. I think that's that's one of the important things about this movie. Like it, it's it's very modest. It doesn't have over the top gags, which is sort of ironic because it's coming from the director of the Austin Powers movies, which I'm a fan of, especially the first one. But you would think that that it would be a little bit more in your face. Whereas a lot of the gags in this movie are more verbal. Uh, they're more about kind of character quirks. They're not really big set piece. Uh, I mean, there are a few. I don't think those gags work as well in this movie, which which we'll also talk about. But um, I mean, it is a classic. It established uh, Ben Stiller as one of the go-to comedy, comic uh, leading men of the 2000s. There was a time in the early 2000s when it felt like there was a new Ben Stiller movie every month. And uh, we'll talk about Ben Stiller in just a second, but this is one of his best performances. It is, it's it's a classic movie, um, and it's because the situation is so relatable. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're meeting in-laws or not. Uh, if Even if you've never been married before or engaged, you've all you've been in a situation where you have to deal with someone who is uncom- who makes you feel uncomfortable and bully and, and someone who bullies you it's a universal feeling and this movie takes what are a lot of awkward situations and potentially unpleasant and unfunny situations and makes them hilarious and uh, it, it, it's a classic yeah I was gonna say it's one of the more awkward like it has more awkward moments in this than than a lot of comedies do but they just work so well Todd how about you yeah I've I've seen this movie a lot or I've seen parts of it a lot because it was one of those movies that was on cable all the time uh, in like when I was watching a lot like there were a few of those movies like A Few Good Men and Misery and whatever they were on all the time on every channel this is one of those movies and I've always really liked it 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 is a is a really fun comedy and yeah like you said awkward humor Uh, it's a yeah, I mean, it, it spawned two sequels, and, uh, yeah, it, it's just, I mean, it's great. It's great. I also was going to say, after watching this movie, I felt like, also, this is one of those movies, I mean, like you said, it turned into a franchise, but it felt like the tone changed so much after the first one that the the two sequels, especially the last one, don't even come close to being as good as this one and the and it's because that tone shifted and they were never able to capture that magic that they had with the first one again well that's because they had to introduce the crazy characters of the second one right i mean you knew that mr and mrs Fokker were going to be a wild couple of people and they completely went all in on that when there still are some of those moments between de niro and stiller that remind you of the the greatness of the first one yeah, yeah I, I, yeah, I suppose we should talk about this because I think Meet the Fockers is maybe a top 10 most disappointing movie of all time for me because when that movie came out, the trailer was hilarious. Okay, laugh out loud, great trailer. That's always a red flag. And uh, Dustin Hoffman and Barbara Streisand, 
that is the greatest casting maybe of all time for Greg Fokker's parents, Gaylord Fokker's parents. Um, and uh, they even announced the Best Picture winner at the 2004 Oscars as Bernie and Roz. I mean, that was great, you know, when they announced, uh, you know, Million Dollar Baby winning Best Picture. And to see that movie and how terrible it is, and it goes back to exactly what you were saying, Terry. The tone is so off in that movie, and it's all scatological poop jokes. And it's so, like... And, and you got to remember, too, like, Barbara Streisand hadn't made a movie, I think, since The Mirror Has Two Faces. I mean, she had gone, like, almost a decade without making a movie. And that movie is... Just, I, I haven't even bothered to see the third one, because the second one... Actually, the second one, I don't even think I've seen the, the full version of. It's just so horrible to watch. It is it's a complete catastrophe. I remember nothing about Little Fockers. Nothing. I remember it ends at like a carnival or something. But that's that's like it. That's all I remember. <laughs> I, I remember nothing. I did read somewhere that um, the producers, or no, the MPAA would not allow them to use the name Fokker unless they could actually find someone that had that last name. Oh, that would have been an awesome job to have in 2000, to try to find someone... With that last, <laughs> that should be a documentary. With 120 votes know, on IMDb, right? the search for Fokker. Yes, there we go. <laughs> the search for Fokker. I love it. All right. Well, uh, like we said, this was starring Ben Stiller. It kind of catapulted him to being a, a comedy A-lister. Uh, so one of the things we're going to start with is we're going to do Mount Rushmore of Ben Stiller, and uh, and kind of see how this goes. Uh, Zach, I'm going to let you go first. Give me uh, your submission to the Mount Rushmore of Ben Stiller. So are we saying that um, that this one is the default fourth pick, or... Can well, I... Good question. Do we want to do, do that, or do we want to... Would we all put Meet the Parents on the Mount Rushmore? Yes, I would. I probably would as well. Todd? Yeah, I mean, I... I, I wouldn't argue with it. I'm not sure if it would be on my personal, depending on how I went about it, but yeah. It, I mean, I wouldn't argue with that being the agreed upon okay. one. Okay. Well, let's, uh, then let, let's do that. Let's say that's the agreed upon one and go from there. All right. Well, you know what? I mean, one of the charms of this movie is I am not a Ben, ben Stiller fan. It was very, it's very hard for me to think of a truly great Ben Stiller performance because I think most of his movies suck. I mean, I, I don't find his brand of humor particularly funny, even though in real life I think he's, he's a good person and, and he has been funny in like interviews and stuff, but so I'm not the right person to pick this one. So my pick is uh, going to be a stupid one. I'm going to go with um, him as Chaz Tannenbaum, the oldest son in the Royal Tenenbaums, because that is one of the few Ben Stiller movies that I think really works. It's a performance that works. It's not the best performance in the movie, but it's like the one... He's like, you know, the exercise freak, and he wears that jumpsuit uh, with his sons, and I think he's really... He's kind of got the Jufro. He's very funny in that movie. It was between that and Starsky and Hutch, and quite honestly, I can't think of anything else that I would remotely nominate him for because I think most of his other wow. movies suck. <laughs> wow. Okay. Maybe we should have just let you pick Meet the Parents and go from there. <laughs> I kind of want to retroactively do that. Can we just have him pick Meet the Parents and No, and, no, he's, uh, he's good. He's good in the Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> Another one I was actually thinking about was Your Friends and Neighbors, which is a really good Neil Butte movie. The only problem is I don't really remember him in that movie, but I remember liking the movie. 
Isn't he like the second lead? <laughs> well, yeah, but it, it, that movie is like an ensemble cast and it has six characters. It's like the whole movie is just six people and they all pretty much have equal distribution screen time. I don't really remember him in the movie, but I like the movie. I still haven't seen the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh. I mean, Todd, yeah. Todd, you'd agree. He's really funny in the Royal Tenenbaums, right? Like, he's yeah. actually... Yeah, he is. He, he, I mean, it, yeah, it's a decent pick, but I mean, I wouldn't have... I wasn't thinking supporting parts, but I... I, yeah. I, I could dig that. All right, Todd, what are you going with? Well, I had... I had a few ways of looking at it. Like, uh, I have... Uh, there's what his best movie is, which is Brad's status. There's his best performance, which is Permanent Midnight. His best directed achievement, which is Escape at Danamora. But the combo of all of them is Tropic Thunder. It is the funniest that he has ever been. It's the the best, like, movie that he has directed. It's a... I don't know. It, it's it's a kind of a... Now sort of a classic comedy of a war comedy it's i mean kind of distasteful but in a good way and it's a it, it's an awesome movie and he is great in the lead role even though he's probably like the fourth or fifth most interesting character in that it's his directing and the uh the whole atmosphere that is uh why i picked that yeah that was definitely one i was thinking too simply because like you like you said he directed it too and it shows off not only his comedy and uh his star power but also he's he's really good behind the camera too and, uh, and like, you said Escape from Danamora, he wasn't even in that. He just directed it, right? Yeah, yeah, and he was nominated yeah. for an Emmy for it. I mean, he's obviously a really talented director. He's had some real, like, bangers over the years. Reality Bites, Cable Guy, you know, uh, Zoolander. I mean, he, uh, he's, he's an awesome director. Yeah. Uh, that's a good pick. That was one of the ones on my list. Um, okay. I have two that are complete opposites of each other that can go com two completely different ways um and since Zach said Royal Tenenbaums I'm going Zoolander um it, it might be his most iconic role uh and uh and really I think like Meet the Parents kind of established him as this the comedy A-lister and Zoolander kind of established his brand of he's going to be this over-the-top crazy person. And, uh, and I, I love Zoolander. I still haven't seen the second one. I'm kind of scared to. But, um, but him and Zoolander, Blue Steel, I mean, um, what is this? A house for ants? Uh, I, it, it's just comedy gold and the other one i was gonna i was gonna say was permanent midnight which like you said is by far his best performance and the most dramatic he's ever been and um wait a second I, I, I you're not gonna yeah. you're not gonna go with keeping the faith come on I, I mean it's a good movie but no that's not that's not something that belongs on his mount rushmore really oh i thought you were gonna go no. with that that's like one of your all-time favorite movies it's a great movie, but it doesn't belong in his Mount Rushmore. Well, I would agree that's with more that. Of, I, I thought you were going to That's more of an it. Edward Norton movie than it is a Ben Stiller movie. I mean, Edward Norton directed that movie. Think about that. Edward Norton has directed two movies, Keeping the Faith and Motherless Brooklyn. I mean, the, how different can you be there? Anyways, um, yeah, no, it was going to be it was going to be Zoolander or Permanent Midnight. And um, and since Zach already picked something that was a little a little off a little different for Ben Stiller. I'm going Zoolander. Can I just make the case quickly for Starsky and Hutch? I feel like <laughs> Ben Stiller gave 
his performance as Starsky and Hutch, and then like the next five movies he did were kind of that exact same performance. And that's like, your case yeah. for it. Well, you know, it established it. I mean, you could that that was know, his you persona. You could say that he's done. He had done that before, though. You could say like, like Starsky is uh, is like his performance in Mystery Men. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's it, maybe there's a little bit of Zoolander he, in it too. It's a fair point. There's a little Zoolander in it. Yeah, I mean that, and it, Zoolander was the first like buddy up Ben Stiller Owen Wilson thing, and then they repeated it with Starsky and Hutch, and I feel like they do they did one of those like every year in the 2000s. Could you see Ben Stiller as Howard Ratman in Uncut Gems? We didn't talk about that, Ooh. but I feel like that could have been a possibility. He could have done it. It's been a long time since he's had that much energy. He could have done it. I think I, I could mean, have seen it. He, I, I, he never shows it, but like I said, Permanent Midnight, Todd said it too, it's his best performance, and it is a very dark, dramatic turn. And, uh, and if he's able to show that in a movie like that, I think, yeah. It could have definitely worked. You also got to mention for him, Greenberg is another great movie that he's in, and there's something about Mary, of course. And I was also, I mean, a Dodgeball is not a movie I'm fond of, but that's probably one of his most popular hits among, among people our age. Somehow. I, I think the first time people really and really uh, noticed him too was in Happy Gilmore as uh, as the Nana's nurse. Yeah, that, yeah. that was a great performance too. Yeah, that was after Reality Bites and Cable yeah, Guy. True. And what the Ben Stiller show too wasn't that early nineties? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, a lot of a lot. I I think it's interesting. There's a lot of great performances, but there's also a lot of like phases of his career. Like right now, he's very much into like the indie kind of offbeat comedy type of deal. He was all about franchises in the in the 2000s, but he also has those dark, just off turns in there too. Another one that wasn't mentioned, it wasn't a very good movie, but he directed it too. Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It was an okay movie, but his direction was outstanding in that. That wasn't the problem with it. It just wasn't, it just wasn't that great. But um, yeah, he he. I I wish we got to see more of him now because we don't see very much of him recently i feel like i've seen more ben stiller trailers than i've actually seen ben stiller movies like if if, if this was a uh mount rushmore ben stiller trailer performances i would put the honeymoon kid as number one because he's he's hilarious in that trailer but i never saw the movie because i heard it was shit well then there's the, uh, the, or the the heartbreak kid not the honeymoon the, kid the heartbreak, the heartbreak kid. sorry oh, yeah. okay. don't, don't forget don't forget the tug speedman trailer too Right. Of course, yeah. Well, and then and then you've also got like, that, like Heartbreak Kid, Along Came Polly. You've got he's got some. Oh, he's great in that trailer. Too. This is like a borderline rom com. Yeah, yeah. He's great in the Night at so, the Museum trailer as well. Yeah, and and those are those are just like family fun movies. I mean, he's had a phase of his career really for almost every genre of that's out there. Which makes him so unique. All right. Well, uh, let's stop talking about Ben Stiller and uh, let's start talking about um, 
if this movie came out today, who would be in it? I thought this was a really interesting uh, uh, look at um, who could be uh, play these parts. Let's see here. For our recasting, Todd, I'm going to you first. We're starting with uh, with Gaylord Fokker. Uh, who would play him today? Well, if you're talking about an actor that can do uh, awkwardness and like sort of like quirky comedy and have flare-ups, I, I went with Jesse Eisenberg. I, yeah. it, would, it would have a slightly different uh, type of tone, but I, I think that I think he could do it. Uh, yeah, I'm going next because that was the exact choice I had with Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, yeah, I think that was the one I could come up with. Of yeah, just having the it would have a slightly different tone because nothing Jesse Eisenberg does has uh, the confidence that that Greg Fokker has. However. Uh, yeah, I think he's the best choice. Just that awkwardness of not being sure of yourself enough to to really botch everything when you meet your in-laws. Yes. So, Zach, what's your choice? I went with Kumail Nanjiani because um, I feel like he could also encompass that awkwardness really well. Um, and the big six sort of is a little like Meet the Parents, so maybe it's almost not a fair pick to make, but... Um, he's one of the few actors. I think Jesse Eisenberg is, of course, sort of an obvious and inspired pick. So, you know, I think Kumail Nanjiani could also do it too. I, I like that. And yeah, the big sick, he was kind of, you could say it was almost an audition for something like this. Right. Because that's, that's really what he does best. Cool. All right. Jack Burns, played by Robert De Niro. Todd, who do you got? Uh, so this was coming right off of Analyze This, which is not really a... a a, a De Niro performance that's like all his others so it was like a, he just had dipped in comedy which is why I went with Daniel Craig like he had this awesome comedic mm. role last year and now he, he comes in a ha, has this sort of like family comedy that you're after I, I think I, I would I would love to see that that's a good pick that's a, that I is like a good it. pick that that yeah Thanks. that's a great pick well I mean James Bond. I mean, you 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 have to try and impress James Bond. That's yeah. The intimidation of De Niro uh, would would definitely fit the the Craig profile as, as of right now. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I went with um, I went with like the American version of James Bond, Ethan Hunt himself, Tom Cruise, is my Jack Burns for kind of the same idea of. I mean, he he's who's going to be intimidating and. He's showed that he can do the comedic stuff with uh, a Ben Stiller movie in Tropic Thunder. But, um, I, yeah, I could just set the death stare from Tom Cruise. I, I mean, it would be it would be pretty great. And uh, Jesse short, Eisenberg. But... Tom, but, but here's the thing. Like, I was thinking about this. Jesse Eisenberg and Tom Cruise would, like, look each other in the eye because they're both really short. That's true. <laughs> so it would work. That'd be a fun All right, comment. Zach, who... It would be. It would be. Zach, who do you got? All right, so the, I think the biggest um, qualifier is that you have to believe that this man would be a hitman. I don't know if I see Tom Cruise as a hitman. I, I, have you seen Jack Reacher? Uh, collateral. Collateral? <laughs> <laughs> he could even wear the gray wig. 
I mean, my favorite thing about Jack Burns is that he wears the Hitman gloves when he's driving the car. I don't know if I can see Tom Cruise doing that. I could definitely see Daniel Craig doing that, and that's a good pick. It, for me, it came, Daniel Craig is the better pick. Yeah, that, that's a good pick. Uh, for me, it came down to two actors, and it would depend on if you want to go for more, com- more, more straight comedy or more of the contrast of the dramatic. And those two actors were Nick Offerman and Liev Schreiber. I don't know. Who would you say between those two? I, I mean, Liev Schreiber. <laughs> that, that would be a little bit. That'd be a little bizarre. <laughs> but uh, Nick Offerman would be really funny. <laughs> That'd be great. But Liev Schreiber would definitely have the more. In, would be more intimidating. Yeah, I think that's more conventional. Nick Offerman would be more awkward. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think no matter what Nick Offerman does, he's always Ron Swanson. I mean, he can't really. Yeah, and you know, the problem is maybe Nick Offerman should have played uh, the Owen Wilson character because both of them are uh, handymen who can make a lot of uh, amazing things with wood. Isn't that sort of Nick Offerman's thing? Yeah. yeah. So I'll go with Leif Schreiber. <clears throat> okay. Oh, that's that. those are all... We're, we're doing great here. This is awesome. All right. Pam Burns, about to be Pamela Martha Fokker, uh, played by Terry Polo. Todd, who do you got? Uh, so this one, uh, I don't think there's really all that much required to play Pam. I went with Allison Lohman. I don't think I've seen her in a long time. I don't really know how old she is, uh, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I I was just thinking of who would round out the... This was one of the ones I did last, so I was just thinking of someone who could round out the cast. All right. Yeah, I, not a whole lot is required of this one. I, I find it interesting that Terry Polo is one that really came out of nowhere to get this role, and then after this role, returned to nowhere. Uh, because she hasn't really done anything she other has, than like, this trilogy of movies. Two movies too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, so it, it, it doesn't need to be someone who is well-known. It can be kind of a smaller person. I read somewhere that this role came down to, uh, to Terry Polo and Naomi Watts, and Terry Polo got it because she was more sarcastic. Um, but anyways, uh, I went with, um, I went with Rose Leslie, who, uh, is most known as playing Egret, the wildling that falls in love with Jon Snow in Game of Thrones. Ooh. Um, yeah, who ends up marrying Kit Harington in real life later on. Um, yeah, she's, but it, she's a, she's this redhead girl, right age, right look, right feel. She's got a quick wit to her. I think it would be it, it would fit. I do not know who that is. And and no one knew who Terry Polo was, so that's okay. You need to watch Game of Thrones, Todd. All right, Zach. Yeah. So if I'm gonna go with Camille Nanjiani, then Zoe Kazan would be the obvious choice uh, for Pam. Um, I'm going to try to be a little more creative, though, and I'm going to go with someone who has already played this role before in many, many movies, and she even has a similar last name, and that is Rose Byrne. That, that would fit pretty perfectly. Yeah, Rose Byrne's kind of all over the place right now, too, so it's good. It's good. All right. Dina. Dina Burns, brought to us by Blythe Danner. Todd, what do we got? So she's definitely like the, the the goofiest character in the movie. Like, so you need someone who's uh, just a little kooky, and uh, you don't really know what she's gonna do next. I went with 
Oscar winner slash World Series of Poker bracelet oh. winner Jennifer Tilly. Yes. Because she hasn't <laughs> acted in a while either, but uh, she has that just sort of like weird vibe about her that uh I, that would be a completely unpredictable kind of character to go along with Daniel Craig, and that's what Blythe Danner is to Robert De Niro. Yeah, Dina is, is, she's a little aloof and a little bit, uh, Magoo. Uh, so, um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, so she's got to be someone who's got that, got those quirks and yet still work well with, uh, yeah, with who you've got as Jack. So I went with Patricia Clarkson. Kind of a, Ooh. kind of a similar vibe there. With, and she's married to Tom Cruise? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Here's okay. the crazy thing. They're like the same age. They're like well, the same be- age. That's believable, but we're, we're getting into the AARP uh, meet the parents. Hey, <laughs> I, I always look at ages. This Tom Cruise is about the same age as De Niro was when he made it. Okay. And Patricia Clarkson's right around that age, too. Okay. De Niro was like 57. I think Cruise is 58. Patricia Clarkson has played that character a lot too. The, That's true. That oh yeah, she'd be perfect the, for it. The, the mom, yeah. She'd be perfect for it. The uh, piece yeah. of April, yeah, classic. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. I'm I'm going with it. I could see it. It was just a little shocking yeah. at first. Yeah. Kind of had to remember she's still alive. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, Zach. Who do you got? Um, I went well. First of all, I thought about going with Naomi Watts because, again, like Terry mentioned, she was a, a original, you know, someone considered originally for the role of Pam, and she's uh, married in real life to Leah Schreiber, I believe. But then I decided to go with someone who could also, who's been playing this role a lot lately, or at least some the archetype of this role, and that is recent Academy Award winner uh, Laura Dern. I, but you know my ages are way off. That's so a good one too. I I don't I don't do ages as rigorously as Terry does, but uh, I think that maybe in ten years Laura Dern could knock this role out of the park. So uh, this movie originally was supposed to be directed by Steven Spielberg, and star uh, Jim Carrey and Al Pacino. That would have been different. Yeah, definitely. Carrey Carrey would have been way too old for that. For Greg, I think, but they had they had to rewrite it a little bit in order to uh, to fit Ben Stiller from what the original script looked like. But well, and he yeah. would have had to sacrifice his Golden Globe nominated performance in How the Grinch Stole Christmas, right? I mean, that you know, well, there they, you go. he would have had to give up the awards accolades to make a you know populist uh, comedy like this. Yep. All right, Todd. Next, we've got uh, Denny. Brought to us by John Abrahams. Who do you got? Uh, I think he probably wouldn't take the part, but I'm with Caleb Landry Jones. Ooh, like, like Denny's yeah. one of those characters that's just sort of uh, he he's in the background and he's really sarcastic and he feels like he like it's not that he doesn't belong in the movie; it's that he doesn't think he belongs in the movie. And uh, I think Caleb Landry Jones like embodies that feeling in in most of his movies. <laughs> I really, really, really like that pick. It's so much better than mine. I couldn't come up with anybody good. Well, no, the one the one that I came up with that I thought would would fit would be like Timothy Chalamet. I thought he would have he would have fit that that well. One of the things I thought about in trying to figure this out, how old is Denny supposed to be? I mean, he's still living at home. He's got like the you know he's got like the loft. I mean, is is he in high school? Is he like 
22 and hasn't left home yet? I mean, who, how old is Denny supposed to be in this? I, I, I really didn't know. Yeah, and Caleb, um, Caleb Landry Jones, by the way, is 30 years old. I know. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah he's probably too old. <laughs> yeah, I, so Timothy Chalamet was one, like, if we're talking ideal cast, that he would have fit, but he's way too big now. So I tried to go with someone that's a little lesser known. I went with David Mazous, who plays uh, young Bruce Wayne in the Gotham series. Just because he's young, and I don't know, he could fit. He, he kind of fit the spot. I could see him looking like a young Tom Cruise. <laughs> That's all I got. All right. Zach. All right, I went with probably also someone who's too old for this role, but maybe five years ago would have been great, and that is uh, teen legend, angsty teen legend Ezra Miller. Yeah, someone who you yeah, have to could, believe totally would would, would have pot on him and uh, you know smoke on the roof, much to the dismay of his parents. Another one, if he wasn't too it. old for it, that would have been perfect for it. Would be like Evan Peters. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I could see but that. He's a little too old. But again, is he? We don't know how old Denny is. <laughs> he just kind of shows up with his uh, with his sculpture in Greg's pocket. Um. All right, Todd. Kevin is our last one. Brought to us by Owen Wilson. Who do you got? So, uh, Kevin is a character that is like the epitome of like just likability. Like everybody likes him, even Jack likes him, and he sort of has a cool factor as well. He's got a giant place. I went with Zac Efron. Yeah. And because he he has that he has that that aura in in a lot of movies and he has shown that he really is good at these kind of comedies recently so once I thought of him I was like yeah it's gotta be it that's a good pick that's a good pick um this this was one of the first ones I cast um because if I was going to make Jesse Eisenberg my Greg then my Kevin had to be Army Hammer and just go go full circle social network and bring back the Winklevi to to fight against uh. Zuckerberg here, so uh, so Army Hammer. Not to mention the fact that he's that Army Hammer would be like a foot taller than the rest of the cast. <laughs> that that's true. <laughs> and and if you're talking like someone who's going to be like the epitome of like you know manliness and 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 Greg feeling insecure about who Pam turned down for him, that Army Hammer versus Jesse Eisenberg is about as good as you can get. Well, the last time Army Hammer like had a horseback riding scene was uh wasn't the Lone Ranger and that that wasn't great. <laughs> Valid point. Okay, Zach, who do you got? Okay, well, I, you know, I can I can understand the Zac Efron pick, but I think the genius of Owen Wilson is that he's not Zac Efron. Like, if they had just if if in Jay if Jay Roach had just cast like Mark Wahlberg as this role in two thousand, it wouldn't have been nearly as funny. Like, you have to have someone who is manly but like also quirky and kind of weird, and not someone who's ever going to take their shirt off. I also just you just you know for for shits and giggles, let's get a little unconventional. I went even though he's way too old for this role now. I went with Lance Armstrong. Because, you know what, I would love to just watch this movie and for Lance Armstrong to randomly show up. We know he's a good actor. Tour de Pharmacy was hilarious. And I could see him, like, just, you know what, he's cashing the check. And, uh, yeah, it'd be awesome to watch. Everyone would be like, what the hell? Lance Armstrong? Really? That would be great. It's also great the idea that, that uh, Pam had a mostly physical relationship with Owen Wilson. Yes. <laughs> She's a tomcat. 
Like, like if I, I'm thinking, if you want to go with a, if you want to go with someone that's going to be like a, like an Owen Wilson type, instead of go with that, go with like, uh, like Thomas Middleditch or something. Like yeah. that. That's the, That would be the yeah. type of, of foil you would want to, to Greg it, and if you're looking for someone similar to, to Owen Wilson. Uh, who would Nicholas Cage play in this? I, I mean, could, could he be play Jack? Jack? Now? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He'd have to be Jack. A certain that actually er- is a certain era, bad. he could have been Kevin. Like maybe like yeah, mid nineties. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what we always say though. Like like early to mid nineties, <laughs> Nick Cage was like the, the main character in most of our movies. Now now he would be well. That's because he was the main character in most of the movies in the mid to late nineties. I also yeah. feel like he could have been the interrogator at the end of the movie at the airport. Norm. The guy who uh, is very mad at Ben Stiller for saying bomb, 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 bomb. And, uh, yeah, that, you know, a little late in the movie, but he could have made an appearance. I could see that. I could see that. Like, mid-80s, Nicolas Cage would be the the pharmacy clerk. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that basically what his role was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Yeah, he worked at the fast food restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be the same idea. All right. Well, uh, well, let's let's deep dive. Let's get into this. Um, our highest war performance. What is the most? Who's the most irreplaceable of all the people in uh, in this movie? Zach, you're first. Uh, well, I'll just go for the obvious one. Robert De Niro. I mean, the guy is a legend, and he's won two Oscars. He is not someone who's known for being particularly funny. Um, he did make, uh, uh, what was, I'm sorry, what, 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 what did he make before Analyze this? Analyze this. Analyze this. I've never seen Analyze This. Have you guys seen it? Is he actually funny in that movie? Yeah. Yeah, he is. Okay. Of course you'd say that. Um, but, uh, I have seen The Adventures of, um, Rocky and Bullwinkle, and he's quite funny in that. But this ushers in the era of De Niro in comedies, sometimes for checks, other times for, because, I don't know, maybe he's just disinterested in life. But, uh, yeah, it's really hard to recast Jack Byrne as someone who could be a uh, CIA, uh, you know, security, uh, psychological analyst, um, and someone who's just kind of always playing mind games with you. I mean, he's sort of the perfect uh, Jack Byrne. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to think of anyone else but Robert De Niro. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, well, the funny thing is, yes, you say he, he's he's the highest war, and I would agree that he's probably the highest war. However, at the same time, he's the one that we came up with the most options for who would play a good Jack today. True. Like, all three of our choices were like, oh, man, but it's because we can find so many of those people who are who are known as that, that serious, intense actor... But see, like that, you just put them in this situation, and all of a sudden, everything that they say in their normal, their normal lives turns out to be hilarious. I agree with you, Terry. But here's the thing: like, people didn't know Robert De Niro was funny until analyze this, and then this movie. Like, okay, yeah, Christopher mm-hmm. Walken, sure, put Christopher Walken in. But Chris, people knew in in, in two thousand, Christopher Walken could dance and be funny, right? They knew that Al Pacino yeah. could be funny. I don't think anyone knew that De Niro could be uh, funny because the King I mean, of like Comedy... Midnight Run and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, but again, as the as the serious character. And, and like, the King of Comedy, that's, that's a painful performance to watch. I mean, it's funny, but, like, not funny well, in any sort of conventional way. Jackie Brown? 
That's true. Well, that's where he's getting a little closer to potentially, you know, doing a, a comic performance. So, yeah, that's Mad fair. Dog and Glory. Never seen it, but I know you're a fan of that movie, Todd. Of course. Where does this rank well, in the then, De Niro echelon for you, Todd, as a De Niro aficionado? Well, like, like in terms of performance? Yeah, does this, like, crack the top 30? Like, <laughs> what, 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 what well, films is this between? I, I've never done a... Uh, exhaustive ranking of De Niro, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it probably is around twenty-five to thirty, I would say, which isn't bad. Is this his best comedic performance? That's the better question. No, I mean, I, I think Jackie Brown is one of his best roles, so I, I would probably say that. Can we all agree that his worst comedic performance is him trying to be a late-night talk show host and Joker? No. No, his wor- his worst comedic performance is the comedian, which Todd assigned me about a year that ago, and, and it is an awful, awful movie and an awful performance. Although Showtime is one of his funniest roles too. Do love that movie. Showtime. Showtime. You, yeah, you've got you've got a, a soft spot for Showtime for sure. That national security. Of course. Um, those early two thousand cop comedies. Uh, all right. Well, yes, highest war. Uh, Let's go back to highest war. With De Niro. Uh, I'm. I'll go with. I'll go with Ben Stiller. I mean, it's the other obvious choice. I, I think it, it was a hard one to recast because Ben Stiller is such a unique brand and brings so many unique things, and uh, and because he can he can play so many different on so many different levels, it makes him. Uh, him really fascinating and uh and i think he he has a very very high war in this movie too but like even if we said who else would play this in in 2000 we said jim carrey was slated to but it wouldn't have fit it wouldn't have been right because jim carrey is jim carrey so um yeah ben stiller i'm gonna say he's a he's got a very very high war as well yeah Todd, i mean do you have I, anybody I was, else besides ben those stiller two yeah you're saying Ben Stiller? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, coming off of There's Something About Mary. It seemed like a logical progression. He started a run of these type of characters, whether it was like Envy or Duplex or Along Came Polly, and then eventually like the Meyerowitz stories and While We're Young and stuff like that. He's he's kind of, this is like where he's at his most comfortable, and I think he's, yeah, he was really hard to recast. And I, I don't think Jim Carrey would have been the same in 2000. I, I don't honestly know who I would have said. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I do find it funny that he made this and Keeping the Faith in the same year. Can we make the case for Highest War being Judah Freelander? Is that possible? <laughs> Maybe we should well, just I... make... Can, can we make a category of... Ju- like, the Judah Freelander steals the movie in five minutes? Like, Judah Freelander, uh, Jonah Hill, and 40-Year-Old Virgin steals the movie in five minutes uh, award. Well, I, I was gonna say he uh, he that'd be like the Clark Duke character in like a comedy being now, right? I don't know what what you're talking. What's Clark Duke? That's an actor. Okay. <laughs> but look him up. You, you'll know who it is once you see his face. Okay. I just We're think looking him up right now. I just think Judah Freelander is really funny in that role, and it's hard to imagine a lot of other actors in 2000 that would have been like. You know, people that no one really knew, but you could maybe recognize his face. Uh, him being maybe Paul Giamatti. Hey, how about that? No. Oh yeah, maybe. that guy. 
like hot tub time uh, machine and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's he's Clark in the last season of The Office. In, Dwight. In the in, in there there are some lesser <laughs> podcasts out there that that say the Oh That Guy Joey Pants Award. We're not gonna mention those other podcasts because they're inferior to ours, but there there is a valid case for Judah Freelander getting some kind of honor for being that guy in a lot of a lot of shit. I agree. Yeah, at that time, like there there was nobody doing these kind of roles but Judah. All right, Todd, worst performance. It's Terry Polo. I. <laughs> oh. I, I I never thought she was interesting. I think her I think Debbie is a lot more interesting character. I wish they had flipped roles, and then I actually may have would have cared about Pam. But I I don't know. I like Terry Polo is like sort of hot, but I don't think she's worth all the shit that that Greg goes through. And it it I mean her character, if she's supposed to be not interesting, then. I, oh, then okay, but I don't really understand that. She has this, like, dead stare, and she doesn't really do anything the whole movie, and I... I, it, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I never liked Terry Polo. Oh, I'm, like, the complete opposite. I love Terry Polo in this movie. I think I, I think she's useless in the other two, but my my worst performance is is Deb. It's it's Nicole DeHuff. I, I thought it was... it was I thought it was kind of a boring part i think i think that was part of it but i was having trouble finding a worse performance and i went with this just because i felt like she had nothing to work with she has she's like the center of everything going on and has like two or three lines in the entire movie um i yeah i i didn't think she really brought that much to it i also think she kind of looks like she already has a black eye just by her normal look on her face (laughs) (laughs) well yeah yeah, I think they they spend like one scene on giving her makeup for her black eye, and then are just like, yeah, which might uh, contribute to that idea. Zach, who's your worst performance? I understand the impulse to go with Terry Polo, but again, that that's a classic example of I think it's the character, not the actor. Like she, I feel like that is in many ways a very thankless role, and um, I think she does fine in the movie. Like it's not re- it's not really fair to to bully up on her. Um, I agree with Terry. It's hard to pick out bad performances in this movie. I'm going to go with someone who's just a little bit excessive in his two lines, and that is Mark Hammer as Greg's hospital patient at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> a little heavy-handed in the advice, and uh, yeah, again, uh, just uh, a little much. We don't we don't need that much of you, man. Just you know, be a little a little less intense in your line delivery. But really, I don't have a great pick because pretty much everyone in this movie is really well cast. You really have a gentle touch, Doctor. <laughs> uh, Alright, it is time for the uh, the Big Tim High Roller Favorite Minor Character Award. And I'm going to go first, because really I think there's only one person that could possibly get the Big Tim High Roller Award in this, and that is Dr. Larry Banks, played by James Rebhorn. Oh, it's... Terrible, um, terrible for about pick. for about ten or fifteen years, Todd and I thought he was Doctor Bob, but he wasn't. In <laughs> fact, whenever James Remborn popped up in anything, it's like, oh hey, it's Doctor Bob. He's not Doctor Bob. Doctor Bob's Tom McCarthy. It's Larry. Uh, yeah, I, I he's this is the thing that I noticed him from first. I think he's a great character actor. He's a great kind of supporting guy. And one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is, is it was a big shot. <laughs> just the way he is able to deliver it i i've always loved him in this and he's that's always what i've known him from and his name is not dr bob he's he's the famous plastic surgeon dr larry banks so uh 
he's my favorite minor character just because I mean Todd uh, yeah, th this Bob. is like the it's it's Dr. Bob this is like the minor character from this movie you could definitely that we have, have known for the rest of our yeah <laughs> uh, yeah I mean it, yeah one of the more recognizable roles I would say Zach, you hated this pick, so you get to go next. Yeah, that's a terrible pick. I think there are some great minor performances that are not Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob, by the way, was the principal of the elementary school I went to, so I have some bad associations with that name, Dr. Bob. Um, uh, I think there are three nominees. Um, Kaylee Rocha as the Atlantic American flight attendant. Uh, she's, uh, I mean, that's a great performance. And by the way, she kind of replicates that same role on season three of Grey's Anatomy. I'm embarrassed to say I even know that, but it's true. Um, she's a great minor character. I would also really think about Judah, uh, uh, Judah, uh, what's his name? Uh, Friedlander. Uh, for all the reasons we've kind of discussed. Friedlander. One, Friedlander uh, man, they could have made, you know what? Screw Meet the Parents. Let's do Meet the the Oyster Bay uh, cashier. Like, that is a sequel I would have uh, wanted to watch. But the obvious pick, I mean, it's debatable whether this is a minor character or not, but it's obviously Owen Wilson in this movie. Uh, Owen Wilson steals this movie. And if you're telling me that you're going to make a spinoff about a character from this movie, it should have been Kevin. I, I want to know more about that guy. He's awesome. His delivery is perfect. Again, you know what? If you cast, like, 2000 Mark Wahlberg in this role, it's just not funny. Like, we don't want the guy to take his shirt off. We want a kind of, he's, he's wonderfully, like, awkward and kind of weird, and it's a perfect Owen Wilson performance. And it's my favorite scene the movie too if we're going to do that category but he's clearly the big tim uh minor character award winner well he does if, take his shirt off technically that's true volleyball. that's true that's right ben stiller is in much better shape than he is if we're talking about needing to take your shirt off then it's gotta be mcconaughey right <laughs> excuse me mr so right, Ms. Todd, Salberg. Who's, who's your big tim high roller well, the two I had written down were uh, the Atlantic Americans Airlines worker, Kaylee Roca, and the pharmacy clerk. You know, I mean... Yeah. We, we got the gum. You, you chew it. Like, he's, he's kind of a douchebag, too, but it's kind, but he's awesome. I think by a bunch I, I, of moms. Yeah, I think the bunch of moms line is one of the five funniest lines in this movie. That gets me every time because I forget about that line. And so, you know, I've seen this movie 80 times. I forget about that line, and that is a hilarious line. Well, I think it's uh, funny that he asked for the most expensive bottle, and he says it's the one that's on sale. This <laughs> 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 is genius. Uh, I, I would. I, I'm. I'm gonna give one. Uh, one other minor character award, and that is the. Uh, uh, that is to Amy Holm, the ticket agent for. Uh, th this is the uh, most likely to be confused for Anna Gasteyer award. <laughs> because that's uh, a good award <laughs> yeah yeah she she looks just like i every time i watch this movie i it's like is that on a gas tire and then i have to look it up and find out no no she was not in this movie but and then she's the one that's constantly clicking her keys like she's obviously just pounding on her keyboard and charging him eleven hundred dollars for having to change his flight plans from new york to chicago i mean that's insane anyways okay uh, all right, well, next is best scene. So, Zach, you already mentioned it, so tell us all about why, uh, what your best scene is and why. Oh, my best scene is when they go to Kevin's house, clearly. And 
I think this is a testament. I mean, maybe it's my MVP pick. I don't know. I'm not decided yet. But when when Owen Wilson is talking about you know all the all the shit that that he whittled, right, the B- Bolivian wormwood and the Siemens Chapel in Nantucket, and uh, that he whittled that little uh, car thing out of Beechwood. I mean, that's hilarious stuff. And the music that's playing in the background, that angelic uh, operatic uh, music that's just kind of subtly there, but it perfectly adds to the scene. Um, and then when Ben Stiller like looks at those pictures, I mean those pictures are awesome. Like that that should have been the background on the circa 2000 DVD of this movie is the pictures of Pam and Kevin uh, on a ski trip. Like uh, you know what that, that why don't we make a prequel about Pam and Kevin's relationship? Obviously we've been very R rated because it was very physical, but I mean Kevin's my favorite character in this movie, and that is the scene that uh, gets me every time. Just, just hilarious. That is when the movie is at its peak. Not the gags, not the, not the shit in Robert De Niro's face, and we'll get to flaws in a minute. But I love comedies that are about char- quirky, char- quirky characters that are not really replicable in any other movie. And Kevin in this movie is a total original. That's a good one. That is a good one. Todd, how about you? Uh, my favorite scene is easily when we first meet Denny. Like. <laughs> The, the, the scene in his room is awesome, one. and John Ab- Abraham just kills it. Like, the first line is, are you sniffing my boxers, dude? Like, I mean, who, who assumes someone's holding a pair of underwear and that they're sniffing them? Like, that that is awesome, you know, like, you know, uh, low down, down low, no doubt. That's just, a, that's just a classic way to end that scene, you know. Lil' Kim, she's fat. I, I, I love that scene. And, P.H. And, P.H. Yeah, P.H. <laughs> yeah. And then he, like, shoves his clothes at him like he's throwing a chest pass, like, across court, but he's standing, like, three feet from him, and he just, like, shoves it right into his chest. I I, I love that scene. Same year as he was in Boiler Room, and I was like, yeah, that guy's gonna be awesome, and he never really did a whole lot after that, unfortunately. He was in Boiler Room? Yep. Wow. (laughs) That's somehow so appropriate. It is. Would it be safe to say that Denny was, like, the basis, uh for jesse pinkman <laughs> yeah i yeah. can see it like wh- where the hell was he in the, before this scene is what i want to know like he was just yeah, climbing it's, it. it's the point. morning was he gone all night or did he just go out to smoke weed or like where where the hell is he coming in from he just yeah, like sc- yeah, scales the yeah. side of the house at like nine in the morning like yeah that's not suspicious well, great shows later on it's pretty easy <laughs> to scale the side of the house <laughs> yeah, yeah. <true. laughs> Um, so my favorite scene, it, I mean, it's it's possibly the the most iconic, or one of the more iconic scenes. It's the dinner scene at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it and watching it this time, I notice it. It's like every every beat hits, and kicks it up a notch, and no beat misses as it continues to escalate further and further and further. Of of starting with, with the prayer. And quoting the Godspell song in the middle of his prayer and praying about the smorgasbord. Did you guys to... notice that the Godspell song was playing at Oyster Bay? I never noticed yes. that until yes. this time. Yes. I did notice I that. that I had noticed that before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, and then you have, you know, the, the Boogada Boogada in front of the urn. Then the poem. The poem. And, then, and then getting into to the, uh, the milking the cat... And I mean, it just it just keeps escalating and keeps getting worse. And Greg keeps digging himself a deeper and deeper hole. And every single moment in that scene hits. 
bigger and bigger and bigger. And I just, it's just, it's like the perfect scene of this movie. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. that is, I mean, yeah, it is a perfect scene. And to think about, like, how long that scene lasts and just how uncomfortable it is. And yet, you're right, it, it's so funny. Like, it just builds on its humor. Um, it's it's really like if you're if you're like a, a director of comedies, you should watch that scene for like inspiration because it's so well done. There there are so many moments in that scene where you're like oh that that was great, and then you go oh no, oh no it's gonna get worse, oh no. <laughs> See like I feel like the first thirty minutes of this movie are just about perfect, and and it's because they're not gags. It's all about the characters and their interactions with each mm-hmm. other. And there's no big effects. There's no, you know, uh, nothing spectacular. It's all about these quirks. And the scenes are very simple. And it's just hilarious. Like, I, it, it, when you watch it, it's like, why can't move, more, move, more movie comedies be like that? But unfortunately, everything went scatological soon after this movie, including its sequel. Yeah. Yes. All right. Biggest stick, man. Uh, Zach. Uh, this was a tough one. Not a lot of uh, low key. Not a lot of great stickman options in this movie. Um, sure. I, I decided to go with Geppetto's father, the cat that sired thirty kittens <laughs> in Motown. <laughs> I, I, although it's debatable it. whether that, that cat really exists. Farmhouse. Uh, oh that's great that's great uh yeah there's not a lot of great picks i'm going with denny just because we know nothing about what that guy actually does and uh it sounds like something he might be so denny has has never has never gotten it in he's like he's like the kid in 40 year old virgin who's you know told you have a small penis seth that's that's who denny is teach me um, Todd, who do you have? Uh, I don't know. I, I thought the only option was Kevin because, I mean, obviously his relationship with Pam was physical, and mm-hmm. I mean that's, oh, that's about true. the only thing. Yeah. He's got a giant ass house. It's a really dope house, and uh, he could probably get most girls. I mean, he's super rich too. I don't know. He could, but he also spends seventy hours uh, whittling uh, an altar for his ex girlfriend's. Um, sister's, sister's wedding. wedding. Yeah, he's still hung up on Pam for some reason, even though Pam is not an interesting character. She must be like killer in bed or something, because like I don't know, I can't imagine anyone would actually want to be around her necessarily. But um, wow, I don't know. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, well. Uh, next is biggest douchebag, uh, and I am going with the real Doctor Bob here, or uh, you can call me Bob. MD. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's horrible. He's the worst. Academy Award Two winning director Tom McCarthy. Yeah, Tom McCarthy. Before I, we knew who Tom McCarthy was, he I was not, Dr. Bob. I did not know that until watching it this time. That was my <laughs> shocking moment. That's crazy. And then and then like uh, my other favorite scene of his is when he's like, "Oh yeah, my buddy threw out his back so he can't be an usher." Oh, Greg could be a rusher. He goes, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, okay, sure, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. The male nurse can be the usher. Yeah, he's more excited I mean, about either... Danny filling in for the cat than he is <laughs> Greg. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Doctor Bob or or the elder Doctor Bob. That's name is actually Larry. Those are the two biggest douchebags in this whole thing. 
All right, Todd, who do you got? Uh, well, Dr. Larry, for sure. I mean, everything he says, like, uh, you know, like, uh, drives a little bit better than your Taurus, eh, Greg, or whatever. Like, he calls him Florence Nightingale. I don't know. But I want to go with a female douchebag, and that is Phyllis George as Linda Banks, uh, who is, I guess, the mother of one of them. of Another Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob, yeah. She has one line in the movie, and it's... It's, 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 you know, somebody had a visit with the, with the hair fairy. It's just, like, such a stupid line. And it is such a, like, a patronizing line, and it mean-spirited. She's a douche. That was almost my worst performance, but it was just because she had the one line. It's more worst character than worst performance. She should have been played by the, the lady, uh, the, like, uh, the gossip lady in Batman Forever. That's, (laughs) that should have been that lady. (laughs) There we go. There we go. All right, Zach, who do you got? By the way, I thought one of your trivia questions, Todd, was going to be, what city does Dr. Bob live in? And the answer is Denver, which is always, which is so random. Um, I don't even remember that one. It's it's on the, when when Pam answers the phone at the beginning of the movie when she's about to get proposed to. That's so random. Anyway, um, uh, the biggest douchebag, I mean, there are several candidates in this movie. I think we're under, we're underrating Denny's effort as a solid douchebag in this movie. Put, pushing mm-hmm. off his drug paraphernalia onto Greg and uh, claiming, uh, you know, no knowledge of it. That's that's pretty douchey. But I think clearly, far and away, Dr. Larry is the biggest douchebag in this movie because the, the thing is, every bully needs an audience, right? And Dr. Larry is... Robert De Niro's audience in this movie. He's the one that laughs with all of his jokes, and uh, he he makes Robert De Niro into such a bigger bully because he's so complicit in it. And uh, he's he's by far the biggest asshole in this movie. I think he makes a low key, maybe top fifty movie asshole of all time because again, you give the bully power when you just laugh at his jokes and you're just complicit in all of his uh, abuse. One line I noticed this time that I didn't notice before is at one point Jack calls Greg, Greg Fokker, RN. He just kind of slips that RN and just kind of in passing into a, into something like, dude. It does feel like... Jack's kind of a low-key low douche, too. It feels like in the second half of this movie, Dr. Larry and Jack sort of dissolve or devolve into, uh, like, um, uh, on-the-spot one-liners that maybe were, like, improvised, it feels like, because then it just becomes, you know, banter. But it's pretty funny. What did you call him? Uh, Dr. Torquemada? Yeah, Dr. Torquemada. Yeah. (laughs) All right, well, let's get into some flaws. We've mentioned a few already or referenced a few. What are some flaws that you guys see in this? You want well, to go I, first, Zach? Yeah, I'll go first. I really only have one major flaw in this movie, which is the idea that Jack is a, quote, human lie detector. Okay, so if this guy really is a human lie detector, first of all, how does he? How can he not tell that Greg is telling the truth that he didn't have weed on him, right, um, in, in the scene at the tailor? And I think this gets to a bigger point in the movie, which is how much is Robert De Niro... Um, playing innocent or how much really is he innocent like does he really not know the drug reference in Peter Paul and Mary I think clearly not but maybe it's just a character it's just it's just his character his character is such a bully such a menacing sort of buffoon um, that has no other interest than to just bully this kind of meek Ben Stiller character Um, I don't know so I I guess I guess it's a long way of saying that if the Robert De Niro character is as naive as he pretends to be, then there's no way he could really be the human lie detector. But maybe he, it's all just uh, bluffing and it's all just a game. 
Yeah, I think he's. Well I think aware he just. Yeah. Yeah, I think he had just has a humongous blind spot for his family, and I think that that shows up a lot because there's a lot of bumbling, just idiotic moments. It's like this guy must have not been a very good spy, but I think it's because he has such a blind spot for his family and lets emotion get into it too much. And he just doesn't care about Denny, you know. Yeah, you know, it's a lot less. Or you, Pam case got a lot worse than I do, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and and Pam, Pam's the oldest. That's 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 part of that. What goes along with that? By the way, I was just thinking. Um, none of us mentioned this, but uh, another like my runner-up for Jack in my recasting was Brian Cranston because he could have just like been Walter White. Oh, and, yeah. yeah, it would have been amazing. Well, didn't they do that in like that? Yeah, James the James Franco. Franco. That it was basically a repeat of Meet the Parents. That's, and that's why I didn't pick why it him? because he'd already played that role once. Yeah. Um, Okay, so uh, I've got a couple flaws here. One of them is courtesy of my wife. As we were watching this last night, um, so it's a scene in the airport where, where Jack comes in and rescues Greg, and he gives him, like, the lie detector test where he feels his pulse. And as soon as he, go, he goes to do it, um, my wife goes, Ooh, that doesn't work. You never take somebody else's pulse with your thumb because your thumb has its own pulse. If you're gonna take someone's pulse, you use your your like index and middle fingers, and otherwise you're not gonna feel their pulse. You're gonna feel your pulse. So the fact that he grabs his hands and tries to feel his pulse with his thumbs actually would never work. Nice. All right. Yeah. Way to go, Cassie. So e so either that was a flaw, or he wasn't actually trying to check to see if he was lying. He was just trying to scare him into lying, and it, it doesn't actually work that way. I don't know. Um, the other flaw I had is. This hit me more than any other time I've watched this. How in the world do Jack and Dina end up together? I mean, they feel like so polar opposite, like never even would have like said hello to each other and they were in the same room, yet they end up married? What? They, they, yeah. they make zero sense being together. Well, that's uh, really speaking from your perspective, Terry. Let, have you ever had in-laws that you are, are complete opposites and you wonder how they ever uh, were, were together? I, I feel like that's very believable. <laughs> very believable for are, some people are, I know, are you, like are you. you. Are you speaking from experience? <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking from your experience, but okay. <laughs> well, I, I, I think you, you've got a decent... Uh, Decent frame frame of reference there too, bud. Sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I I plead guilty to that. No, I don't know. I, it just felt like okay, a CIA spy ends up with this like goofy. You know, you know, Dina was like a '70s hippie, right? And the CIA spy ends up with with the hippie flower girl. I mean, it doesn't. I I it just felt weird. This I know time. But when you first see him, like uh, Jack has his whole like short stack, short stack coming up, 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 up. And, yeah, and then she comes out, look at my widow girl or whatever. Like I mean, they look like they could be together at that point. Like they're established the same way. I completely believe they would be together. I think that's one of the strengths of the movie. I completely reject that flaw. That is a flaw, Terry. I, I think that's one, okay. one of the, one of the best parts of, of the movie is their is their marriage. All right. I'll take that. I'll take that. By the way, we, none of us mentioned that Dina should be played by Gwyneth Paltrow. Ooh. Which I think yeah. would be fun. Yeah. yeah, of course. Just go full circle again there. Yeah. Todd, did you have any flaws? Uh, yeah, I have a couple flaws and a couple other things I just wanted to mention. So the first, I mean, that's a tall house. I don't know how you throw a pack of cigarettes on the roof. Like, that was just impressive. Uh, 
another thing. Okay, so Jack just has a uh, a Tom Collins with Greg. And then he immediately says he's going to go drive to the store. And I don't think drinking and driving would be all that tolerable in that family. And uh, plus he makes the drinks at the mini bar. And then he goes and pours out the bottle in the kitchen. But it was a full bottle. So there probably was some more Tom Collins at the mini bar anyway. So I don't know. That, that, that It doesn't add up. Another thing that doesn't add up. It says, okay, so Terry Polo and Owen Wilson were 31 when this movie came out. And she says Top Gun was a popular movie when they dated. And Top Gun came out in 1986, which meant they would have been 17 when they dated. And that seems really young to not only eventually get proposed, uh, have a proposal, but for Jack to actually get that close to him if they were, like, teenagers. And uh, plus the pictures of of Kevin and Pam look like they could have been taken, like, that the day before. Like, it doesn't look like they were young at the time. So, like, was she still seeing Kevin, like, or, uh, like, hanging out with him after she was already dating Greg? Because, and, I mean, she could have gone back in town and just not told Jack and then, so she didn't have to go home or whatever, but it, the timeline is kind of odd there. Like, did, were they, was it really, like, a decade and a half when they, when they dated? Because, I don't know. It's a good point. It's a good point. It, I mean, it was, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I guess you could do that with a lot of movies. Another another thing I wanted to say was that when Jack puts on his glasses before he gives the uh, the polygraph test is like the coolest move I've ever seen and I don't know how he did it he like twists his glasses and like spins them around and so, and somehow they open like I don't know I don't know what that was but it was cool. Also, <laughs> Jinx uses the toilet in the in the den. You see him do it, so wouldn't that have come up on his security footage? Because Jack would be like he knows not to use that toilet. I think he was being serious, but he obviously did. And De Niro also, when he drives, he drives with the exact same posture and look on his face as he does in The Irishman. <laughs> That's a great point. I heard, I heard the, uh, they uh, modeled the, uh, the driving scenes after uh, scenes in Ronin. I haven't seen that, but uh, that, that's what they... Oh, the, they, when they, they race each other? Yeah, yeah. And... and uh, and they uh, so and then those scenes where they end up stopping at the at the each stoplight they end up that was something where they got to the town and found out how fast the stoplights change and decided to write the scene to do that instead of what they had planned because of how the stoplights changed. Okay, go ahead, Zach. I was just gonna say um, I just came up with one just on the spot. Why why does Jack keep it such a secret that he's planning this trip to Thailand? Like, what's with all the secrecy around it? Like, no one lives at the house besides his wife and Denny. Why why does he have to go to these extreme lengths to keep it a secret? I mean, no one's there. I know, especially because they're supposed to leave, like, in a couple days, right? Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> would that be bad to spring that on somebody, like, right after their wedding, when they probably have their own honeymoon plan? I want to know why it needs to be such a secret that he's a CIA agent when, um, you know, apparently everyone in the TSA at the airport knows, and uh, apparently everybody else that they ever encounter in the entire film knows who he is. Well, that's an interesting conspiracy theory, which is that maybe Pamcakes is not as big on greg gaylord falker as we think because if they've been together 10 months and she still hasn't told him that her father's a cia agent maybe she's still um i don't know maybe she's still thinking about kevin maybe she's still thinking about a uh, a path out of that relationship well i i think not it's in the circle of trust if she tells someone that then they are uh 
then they're gonna dump her because they get freaked out because he's super protective of her. It's possible. She probably once had again, that in a lot of relationships, I, I would say. Once again, possible. evidence of how uh, horrible of a spy Jack is. The fact that he obviously, or what? What? What's? What's the line? Uh, oh, what the, the Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Tulipita. Oh, 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 that's right. You don't know shit about flowers. Um, I mean, how do you not know anything about your cover that you've had for 30 years? You know zero and show zero interest in something that has been your cover story the entire time you've been a spy? Yeah. Come on, man. But, but the movie needs to show that. I mean, the movie had <laughs> to have him look that befuddled or else it wouldn't have, the payoff wouldn't have worked later. So that's I think that's the screenplay, not the not the character still I, that's a flaw you need to you need to show or you need to have like I, I'm I, it reminds me of uh, what was it Mission Impossible 3 where uh, where Ethan Hunt is getting ready to get married and his cover story is he's like a traffic analyst for uh, for the Department of Transportation and he's got all these all these brochures and pamphlets and he talks about how you can see for hundreds of miles when someone hits their brake light the ripple effect that happens it's like oh it's amazing it's like now that's how you sell a cover story. Not oh 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 this is gonna be a oh sure it'll be a great flower, Greg. Thank you. It's like come on, man. We look forward to that, Greg. We'll look forward to that. Yeah. To be as specific to say, I'm in the rare flower business, and he gets you the rarest flower there is, and you don't even know what it is. I, that yeah, that's being horrible. It was spot. a Jerusalem tulipesius. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This is the era before Wikipedia, okay? He he didn't know what it was. It's okay. It's understandable. Alright. Um, anything outdated or any conspiracy theories? I want to go first here. There is some outdated like references and things like that. Um, obviously today you probably couldn't do the, the scene on the plane or anything like that. Obviously today you wouldn't have a little Kim poster up in your room. However, on the whole, I think this film feels pretty timeless. Um, the, the vibe of this film, the humor of this film hits just as strong today as it did 20 years ago. Um, it's just as funny today as it was 20 years ago. And I really don't think that it, um, that much of this ages that badly other than some outdated references. What do you guys think? Yeah, there's a yeah. kind of t timeless quality to this movie that I absolutely agree with. And again, it goes back to the universality of the situation. And it also makes the movie feel not so outdated because there's been so many awkward comedies since this movie came out. I mean, think of like every Ricky Jay, Steve Coogan movie. Think of the whole office. I mean, the, the whole show, The Office, is based around awkward uh, humor, uncomfortable humor. And that is, I think, due in some part to the success of this movie. Yeah, yeah. You guys have any conspiracy theories, or should we just move on? Well, my conspiracy theory was the the timeline thing. Oh yeah, yeah, that was bad. I I agreed. That was good. I had a conspiracy theory that Mr. Jinx is the same cat, or is related to Mr. Bigglesworth from Austin Powers, because they're both Jay Roach movies. Isn't Mr. Bigglesworth a Himalayan too? Could be. I don't. I think so because the, you just see you just see Mr. Bigglesworth in like the very first scene, and then he loses all his hair in the cryogenic freezing. I think he is. We should probably deep dive call. that trilogy. That would be fun. Whoop de doo, Basil. 
<laughs> All right, uh, LVP, MVP. Let's go LVP first. Going to Todd. Uh, I'm going with Atlantic American Airways Airlines. Uh, if it was a real company, they would have had to fold after this movie for sure. Like, they're terrible at baggage security, and they're charging him $1,100 to fly from New York to Chicago. I want to know why, honestly, on his flight back, would he even go back to that same airline? Wouldn't you just buy another ticket? I mean, you're not going to get charged $1,100 to fly, like, you know, 500 miles. Like, what? Like what? Why does he go back, and why does he pay the charge? Like, I don't get it. They're a terrible airline. Don't you think the Samsonite people in a scheme to make some money would have made multiple of the same suitcase? Well, I don't think so. <laughs> you could hear that on the line. That's what they said. That's a great call. Uh, my LVP is uh, is the graphic designer that was in charge of photoshopping uh, Robert De Niro into all those pictures on the wall in his den. Yes, good call. <laughs> That's good. Because <laughs> they were terrible. They were horrible Photoshop jobs of him like walking next to Bill Clinton. It, 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 the worst Photoshop I'd ever seen. Well, but ever. if it was Forrest yeah. Gump, you would have said it, would, it should have won Best Visual Effects. Well, that's because Forrest Gump did a much better job at it. I mean, this was just... It, it, they didn't even try. It was just bad. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my true. LVP. I like it. <laughs> Zach? So, I'm going with, uh, as LVP, the entire cast and most of the crew of this movie because they also made uh, Meet, the, Meet the Fockers and Little Fockers, which are terrible, obscene... Um, you know, just travesties that I think sort of, it's kind of like what Quentin Tarantino says about The Matrix. You know, The Matrix was his number two movie of the 90s and 2000s until the sequels came out. And I feel like the sequels kind of reduced the stature of this movie. So they should have never been made and shame on all these people for actually agreeing to make those terrible sequels. It's not bad. That's not bad. All right. MVP, Todd. It's De Niro. It's, I, he, like he, he got into this this mode at the time where he's just like I could sleepwalk through a comedy and get nominated for a Golden Globe for it, and he did it back to back years with this analysis. And I, I think it, it's 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 a performance of facial expressions, and this and Jackie Brown show that he is the best at facial expressions of any actor ever. Like he is absolutely in his element, and he's the reason why the movie was successful. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a good I, I, that's a good call. Um, for, uh, for mine, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the screenwriters because I, this movie is, is hilarious and it's got such great dialogue and the screenwriters came up with it. And as I was, so I watched the movie and then I read through the, the like IMDb trivia and kind of, and there was some really interesting stuff in there of all the different people that had a hand in this movie. First... This movie was um, was a short in 1992 that um, actually I think it was a full length movie. It was a full length movie that was made for like a couple hundred thousand dollars that never got picked up anywhere and never was seen. And they ended up selling. It was uh, Greg Glienna and Mary Ruth Clark who are credited with the story. Um, they end up selling the rights to the movie to Universal to make this. Then you have uh, Jim Hertzfeld and John Hamburg write the screenplay. But then there were some uncredited um, additions and people who got some edits in there. One of them was Jerry Stahl, the guy who Ben Stiller plays in Permanent Midnight. He actually had a, had a look at the script and made some edits. Uh, but the best one is Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor. 
they got their hands on the script and wrote some pieces in, like the poem was written by Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor, uh, which once you hear that, it's like, well, of course they did. <laughs> that, that's so that's so them. So uh, I, I I'm I'm MVP the screenwriters and everyone that had a role in making this movie and. Usually when there's a lot of hands that touch a script like this, you can tell and it's kind of a mess. But this one, all those hands made it just that much more, I don't know, that much more congealed. So uh, (laughs) I'm going with them. Yeah. Zach, how about you? Well, Terry, you did it again. You stole my thunder. I was going to go with Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor as my MVPs because uh, it was an uncredited rewrite, and I would just like to think in the imaginary world of rewrites that they were responsible for all the best lines in this movie. Um, But since you went with them, I'll go with someone else, and that is uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, who, you know, probably got some got some nice uh, royalties coming from this movie and maybe some people looking up their music after this movie came out and uh yeah they're awesome yeah i got i got nothing i'm sorry for stealing your thunder yeah that's okay uh (laughs) you know what it's like uh you you know it's like when de niro says you tried to milk him you son of you sick son of a bitch that's the way i feel right now All right, well, uh, let's wrap this up with quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Uh, Well, Zach, I'll let you go first so no one steals your quote. Actually, I just stole my quote because my quote was going to be, you tried to milk him, you sick son of a bitch, which (laughs) I didn't, as a line I did not know really prior to rewatching it, but that probably got the biggest laugh out of me last night when I watched it. Um, I will have to say, though, that one of my favorite lines also comes from um, uh, uh, Ben Stiller when he's responding to Robert De Niro's very emotional poem about his mother, and he says, so much love, yet so much information and that's the way i feel about this podcast and that was the exact thing i was going to say and oh. the exact response to that that i was going to say so thanks Zach. i'm sorry he's a cat for christ's sake there you go i'll give you another <laughs> yeah you can milk pretty much anything with nipples uh so do you have do you have a quote out or did he just mine was it? so much love yet also so much information because it's a perfect way to describe the podcast that was exactly what i was going to say well, I, I have two quotes here that haven't been stolen yet, so I'm going to give both of them. The first quote is the poem. I just feel like that needs to be on the record here. So, uh, My Mother by Jack Burns. You gave me life. You gave me milk. You gave me courage. Your name was Angela, the angel from heaven. But you were also an angel of God, and he needed you too. Selfishly, I tried to keep you here while the cancer ate away at your organs like an unstoppable rebel force. But I couldn't save you, and I shall see your face never more, never more, never more, until we meet in heaven. Unstoppable rebel force. And my second quote, I've got to finish with this. It's Greg on the airplane, and this is the perfect way to wrap up the podcast. He says, okay, then shut your pie hole and listen to me when I say I am finished with the checking of the bag conversation. That's a perfect way to end it because we are finished with the meet the parents conversation. So, step there off, you go. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so with that, 
we're bringing this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, make sure you subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Pandora, wherever you can find your podcast, you'll probably find this one. If not, let me know and I'll get it there. Uh, we'll come at you next week with another, um, another podcast. Until then, have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your cross behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.